Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. And by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, "Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related." as related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the tenant of mankind may seek the Lord, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, guys. Go ahead. Um, you can be seated. I'll go ahead and pray for us. Great morning. Thanks so much uh, for Julie uh, doing that. those signs and, and Joel. Uh, <laughs> I feel like my old son was keeping me in check. I was like, what do I do? I was watching my son, eight years old. So, um, Hey, guys, let me pray for us. Uh, very uh, great passage we're in, um, uh, a door hinge passage that they, as they call them sometimes in theological circles, a very important passage of what was going on in the trajectory of the local church. And so I think it, um, uh, I, I'm, by God's grace, I'm asking the Lord um, to guide me in helping us see that it doesn't just have ramifications for them in the first century, but uh, as all of God's word, um, this text um, especially has great ramifications for us and how we view ourselves. So will you pray with me? Bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity to open up your word, to be able to uh, just learn about who you are and who we are in Christ, uh, learn about your world um, and our place in it. And Lord, thank you for giving us an opportunity to shout and sing and just remind ourselves of the grace we've been given in Christ and the freedom we have now um, to not be bound uh, by evil and sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made us your children by your grace. Uh, You've given us faith. You've uh, restored our hearts. 
And Lord, I pray um, that you would just do a work right now supernaturally in all of our flesh. Lord, be killing the flesh, lest it be killing us. And I ask right now, as there's a lot of things we want to do, busyness, um, maybe even pain, maybe even shame. Lord, would you just do surgery right now so people can hear your word? Lord, I, I, I stand here right now and I want to confess that I know my antics, my personality, none of this stuff can, can really do the work that you do, the work that we need. You don't need a good speech here. You don't need uh, emotionalism. Uh, we need a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit uh, to be reminding us of the fight and to be reminding us of the joy we have in Christ. And so I pray you would do that, Lord. So speak through me, Jesus. Um, yeah, protect my, my heart, uh, guide my words. Uh, and I pray that um, there wouldn't be deaf ears here. There'll be hungry ears for Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we are hitting Acts. And if you are new here, uh, we want to first ask you to raise your hand if you need Bibles. We want to pass out some Bibles for you guys. We um, want to encourage you to bring your Bible with you if you need uh, a Bible to take home. I uh, would love to give you that. We just want to make sure that you're having the scriptures and that you're able to spend time in the scriptures um, apart from this time and also that you're learning how to uh, just kind of navigate through the text, okay? That's very important for us as a covenant community. So we want to give you that opportunity. So let us know if there's any way we can help toward that end. Uh, we are, you can go ahead and put up the, uh, the slide, James, that has um, basically the timeline. Uh, we are in the book of Acts right now. For your reading pleasure, you can look at that. Uh, we'll be popping this up and adding little things and kind of switching things up. Uh, here and there, uh, till you know where we are in the trajectory. We are, we're over halfway through uh, the book of Acts. We go through books of the Bible in our local community uh, because left unto our flesh we, and left unto ourselves, I'm sure we would probably stay in those areas that are pretty comfortable. This allows us to really just be training ourselves in the whole counsel of God's word, uh, to be encouraging ourselves um, in Christ. And so if you look on, on our website, we've, we've gone through the book of John and Galatians, Colossians, uh, Genesis, and, um, you know, I don't even know if I mentioned them all. And uh, here we are in Acts. We'll be in Acts for a little more, a little longer. Uh, we'll continue to hit another book. So I hope you are encouraged so far in learning about uh, the early church, how God began to um, bring about uh, the people of God founded in Christ. Uh, we're learning more about that right now. And we are in chapter 15, okay? Um, we've seen... We understand that this was uh, one book. Basically, Luke and Acts was one book. It became two books um, as part of the canon. Luke being an author, wanting to convince um, some, some powerful Greek people, specifically Theophilus, uh, that Jesus is the best, that Jesus is real, and that uh, he should know and love Christ. Okay, and then he does that by making it clear that, hey, as you heard it, as, you, as, you, as the rumors have been, Jesus actually did down the cross. We know that. But actually, he rose from the dead. No one's found his body. If you don't believe that, guess what's happened? We've seen, um, we've seen Jesus come back, reveal himself to many people, provide this Holy Spirit in people. So now the very God who rose Jesus Christ up from the dead lives in these people. Praise the Lord. Um, if, you, if you don't believe that, guess what? They're doing miracles right now. They begin to do miracles. Uh, the, the church begins to grow in the midst of a, of a culture that did not like the church, did not understand what was going on. Um, you begin to see the people of God have to establish their identity as the people of God. They're like, okay, so I guess we're proclaiming Christ now. What do we do? What does that look like? They begin to grow in power. Uh, they begin to get persecuted because they begin to grow in power. Uh, and persecution spread them out to other places to hide, but that actually Jesus had a bigger plan because in that hiding, they actually began to proclaim the gospel in those other areas. And so now not only were Jews getting saved, but uh, Gentiles were also getting saved. We see Peter, a guy who was a wimp in the past, now is like the leader of this crazy body called the way. Uh, and we see him and John and James and these guys are going out proclaiming the gospel, healing people, basically validating that Jesus Christ is their king because the very same thing that the people saw Jesus do, they're doing now in Jesus' name. Doesn't stop there. You get Saul, who's actually killing Christians, actually is, has a hand in killing one of the first martyrs, Stephen. Uh, we see this guy actually has an experience. He becomes a Christian, right? Jesus says, hey, I, I could kill you. I'm not, though. I have a bigger plan. I want to use you 
you for my glory. You're going to proclaim the gospel uh, to the nations, specifically the, all the Gentiles. This guy begins to do just that, experiences great persecution himself. Like we just found out, got beat down, left for dead. They thought he was dead. He gets back up, goes back into the city, preaches the gospel. So things are just crazy right now in a good way, Right. People are coming to Jesus. People are falling in love with God. Both Jews and Gentiles alike are experiencing God's grace. The church is growing. Jesus is getting honor and attention, which is the goal. And now we come to this passage right here. Um, the first missionary journey, if you can go to the little, uh, the little map. So we've had our first missionary journey. Um, and now we're, we're going to this, this, what they call the Council of Jerusalem, Okay. Um, if you, some of you guys are familiar, this is a very big marker in scriptures um, as a seminary, and this is a big, a big deal, Acts chapter 15. This is uh, basically what, uh, what Paul has done so far uh, in his first missionary journey. He'll have two more, and this, um, this graphic will be looking pretty crazy when we get done with it um, by the end of Acts. Trust me, we won't even be able to know what the lines mean or anything, but, but we'll have information up there, and I'll try and navigate you through that toward the end. Okay, guys? Uh, so we're in Acts chapter 15, and here's what's going on in Acts chapter 15. Uh, we've seen these Gentiles come to faith. Uh, we're seeing uh, the Jews kind of trying to understand what, what does all this really mean, and now we're going to have uh, a, little, a little drama, okay? And uh, we're going to just jump right in, and hopefully as we go through the text, it'll help us understand what does it mean to be God's people, and then why does this matter to us today, all right? So here's what happens. They go back, remember, the, the people of God asked them to come and, and, um, and uh, basically come to Jerusalem. We're going to see that in a moment here. And, and here's how it all goes down. Verse 1, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's what's happening. Paul and the crew are in, are in kind of headquarters. They're in Antioch right now. Individuals come and they realize that Gentiles, people who are not Jewish people, um, are, are coming to faith and are walking with the Lord, okay? And so they're kind of like, well... We're going to step into this. If y'all, if y'all say y'all Christians, well, if you're saying this is part Jesus is the realized person, right? Like, so basically, uh, everything we've learned throughout the Old Testament is still valid and true. However, Jesus is the fulfillment, then you still need to be adhering to what we're about as Jews, okay? And so I, I wouldn't give them a hard, I wouldn't give them a super hard time. You got to keep in mind, they've been learning this history for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so, so it, didn't make, it doesn't make any practical sense just to throw it all out, Okay? So they're saying that there has to be some continuity at some level. There has to be some connection, right? And so these guys are like, hey, I want you to understand that we're still the pure bloods. I mean, this is me and my commentary. But they're saying, hey, well, you can just come in and just be like us. Hey, here's what has to happen. Just like the proselytes of old. Remember what a proselyte is? A proselyte is a person who says, man, I see your God. I see what you're doing. I see your people. I want your God to be my God. And they go and they do all the rituals uh, that a Jew does, and they live as a Jewish person, however, ethnically, they're not a Jew because they believe that much in Yahweh, okay? So they're saying, hey, just like those guys do that, why won't you guys do that at some level? You're just going to be free and just have your own religion, you know? What's this about? So, so they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see that, guys? So they bring in basically the law. And in verse 2, it says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, I love that, and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, obviously, Paul and these guys hear this, see these guys saying this to, to these young believers, and they step right in. And now there's a big issue. Because Paul is saying, wait a minute, why are you prostituting grace? Why are you saying that a person needs to do something other than believe in Jesus? Right, so Paul goes in, and they begin. I love, I love this term here, uh, and it was had no small dissension. <laughs> I like that. That means it was a pretty big deal. So they probably went to blows. They're probably using pretty mean words. They're probably going off talking about the history and trying to show, you no, know, these guys have interest to sit at the table with you, and they don't have to jump through any hoops because they're not first century Jews, right? So it's getting heated, and obviously, um, from the text here, uh, the leadership hears about this in Jerusalem. So they're like, hold up. So this is a big deal, All right? So they say, hey, well, this, we got to talk about this because, and here's why, and this makes sense too, so I just want to make sure we can set the story right before we get into the, the meaning of the text. They're saying, hey, okay, actually, 
I get it. Basically, eventually, a lot of these individuals, these Greeks are going to be more, it's going to be more believers who are Greeks than Jews eventually. Okay, so that means we're going to get outnumbered. So we better figure out what, we, what we're going to do about this. Okay, so they, they have to, they're, they're thinking practically because the reality is there's way more Greeks, there's way more Gentiles, and they, they see these people coming in. And so what are we going to do? What does life together look like? And so I'm proposing not just theologically, but practically understanding what do we do about this family of God that is housing everybody? How do we do this practically? Right, we experience that a little bit as we are neighbor together and as God is calling us even to be a, a socially diverse, you know, ethnically diverse body. How do we do this in a way that honors the Lord? Well, this is nothing compared to what they had to deal with, with all the history and the baggage that they had to deal with thousands and thousands of years and being, as it were, the chosen people of God. Right? So, verse 3, it says, So being sent on their way by the church, I love this, so they, they, they're going to have this discussion. So just imagine this, right? I mean, so you know, they know this is own, right? They know they're going to get here. They got to have a discussion of what does it look like for the Gentiles and the Jews to live and have life together? What, is it, what does salvation mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? They have this discussion. I like on their way there, it says, being sent on their way by the church, they pass through uh, both Phoenicia and Samaria, right? Describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So I love why they're there. They probably got encouragement from these guys. Why? Because these are some of the very people that they led to Christ who were Gentiles, right? And so they go back and they, and they, they tell these guys, hey, you know, remember everybody got scared and they start preaching the gospel to you guys and you guys came to Christ. It seemed like happenstance. Well, actually, we've been preaching the gospel even further than you guys and more Gentiles have come to Jesus and look what God is doing. And these guys are like, yeah, yeah, man, this is awesome. So we all can be part of the family of God. And this probably, I wonder if the Holy Spirit was even using this just to encourage them in their faith while they're going to go and talk to these big dogs. They're going to talk to the rulers, right, about what does it look like for everyone to be part of the people of God. And they pass by to get a little encouragement in verse 3. And so it says they get to Jerusalem in verse 4. You're looking at the text. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They were, hey, how you doing? So good to see you. And they declared all that God had done with them. So they come in, they, be, they begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And they declare all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. So they get in. There are the leaders. They start giving a testimony. Remember, they've been gone for some time now, Okay. And so now they get to talk about the beat down. They probably, probably heard about it, maybe. I don't know if there was uh, some information coming back and forth. So they get to talk about the beat down that happened to Paul. They get to talk about him going 30 miles and still traveling. They get to talk about people still coming to faith. And so they're sharing the testimony of God's goodness, the evidence of his grace, right? Reporting the good news of Jesus. And the Pharisees are hearing this and like, man, this guy is getting way too much airtime. So it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, and I love this. So these are believers, who were Pharisees, they rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So, you know, so Paul is just sharing the good news and telling them how people are walking with the Lord, enjoying Christ. And they say, hold up. But those individuals you're talking about, they need to get circumcised. Right? They need to identify themselves as a Jew. Now, I must say, again, I wonder if I, could only, if I was a Pharisee, this would be a huge struggle. Okay, you got to keep in mind. Pharisees were, were the ones who were trying to protect. I just want to get, get, not give them a hard time. They were trying to protect the purity of the law. And uh, there's some who are way off and just super legalistic. And I, I even think these guys are probably are, are legalistic in the fact that they're thinking, well, you know, give me Jesus, but I'm going to keep all my ceremonial rights because that makes me feel good as a pure Jew. But these guys, you know, memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were the keepers. They held it down for the, for, the, for the Jews. And so this was really important information for them to try to keep the purity of what they had been holding so tightly to for so long, to be a Jew, right? Like to, to be the people of God. Can you imagine that? For all these years, you've been the people of God. You've been the ones where you can say at the end of the day, people are treating you wrong. It's okay. We're still the people of God, you know? If you get blessed, I'm supposed to. We're the people of God. If you get cursed, oh man, we need to repent. Yahweh loves us though, but one day he will restore us. And so all of a sudden, that very thing you're holding so tightly to, that identity, that focus, all of a sudden you're starting to see it get ripped out of your hand and God begins to show you that life was bigger than you. 
that his plans are bigger than what you have in store. His plans are bigger than what you want, but they even go past you. Has that ever happened to you? I think it happens to me all the time I read the Bible, right? I, read, I got my plans, I'm all, and then I read the scriptures, and I'm, I'm constantly reminded that, man, I'm, I'm thinking on a whole nother level, Eric, and you're so concerned with your little savings and this and that and the other. I got big things, bro. Well, look what happens, guys. These guys yell out. They get excited. And then it says in verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they heard everybody. And it says, and after they had been, there had been much debate. And I love this. So then there's much debate. They're going back and forth. And notice what happens here. I love the fact that the leaders begin to speak up. First, you got Paul and them testifying to the goodness of Jesus. But now you got Peter who's going to say something about what, what he thinks, okay? So Peter says, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And it says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. How did he give, how did he give the Holy Spirit to the first century Jews? Why does he say it like that? We've seen this before. Why does Peter say it like that? He gave us the Holy Spirit. He, he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Excuse me, is he just talking fact? Is he just saying, I got the Holy Spirit and you got the Holy Spirit? Or is he talking about the way he, they got it? I want to propose to you, he's talking to them. He's reminding them of the way they got it. Because the way they got it was a validation that it was actually the Holy Spirit. And that actually God had given them the Holy Spirit too. How did they get it? Remember? That was, Paul, that was Peter's issue. Right? They could have said, hey, Peter, I got the Holy Spirit too. He'd be like, well, hmm, when God gave us the Holy Spirit, I could hear that dude's language and I don't know his language. Right? Speaking in tongues, supernatural occurrences, that's what happened. So if somebody just runs up and says, I got the Holy Spirit, I wonder in that day and age because people were racist, because those, those individuals were so stunt on being pure and we're the Jews, I wonder if God had to provide a, a physical manifestation so that when we in our flesh said, I don't think they really got it, they have to remember. No, the very same thing that happened to us when God gave us the Holy Spirit happened to them. So he says it like this just to remind everybody in the room, y'all remember... <laughs> Right? Remember what happened at Pentecost? Okay? Then he says, oh, and but then remember what happened at Cornelius' house? What was the difference? We were Jews, they were Gentiles. <laughs> that was the difference. But everything happened the same. I propose he's talking about not just the fact of getting the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the fact that they got the Holy Spirit the exact the same way, which validated that Jesus was in this. Right? So he stands up and he just wants to, to remind these guys. He says, they received the Holy Spirit just um, as, as we did. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Why does he say that? Because you think about it. He's preaching the gospel. Go back to the text now. Okay, we've, we've studied it. Go back to the text. He's talking to them about Jesus. Remember, it took them a while. They're like, hey, why are you here? Peter like, I don't know why I'm here. He's like, hey. Man, you better tell me the gospel. Remember that? And they're kind of sitting around, and, and he's waiting for them to tell them, tell them the gospel. But Peter's like, I got to tell them the gospel? He's like, yeah, man, I want the gospel. Bring it, bring it. Okay? And look what he said. Remember, P Peter is in the middle of teaching the good news, right? And what happens? He's not even done yet. No one prayed to receive Christ. And there's, no, there's, no, there's no faith action for you and I as we're readers to see, oh, they said yes to Jesus. But just then, the Holy Spirit came upon them. You know why that happened? Because the Holy Spirit wants you and I to understand that people come to faith, right, not by a supernatural prayer, not by a booklet, but by faith, right? That the Holy Spirit knew when people have faith. And even though they weren't saying nothing to you, the Holy Spirit filled them because at that moment, God determined you believe. You see that? So you're talking to somebody, yeah, man, I want you to... I want you to know Jesus, man. I want to tell you about it. He's like, oh, no, I love the Lord. And you're like, wait, I didn't, I didn't share the prayer yet. Stop. Right? We don't do that. Because that's what happened. It was at the moment that God had already produced faith in them. 
And so his point here is that, man, they received the Holy Spirit by faith. Man, I, I, was, I was in the middle of my sentence, and they started speaking in tongues. Right? Just to remind you. So, 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 so God had to intentionally craft this thing because he knew that he was doing something so paradigmatic. It was such a shift in the culture. He had to make sure that he provided every scenario. I'm bringing you back to those passages. You got to go back to those passages and look at this passage as well. He had to make sure that the way he was providing the Holy Spirit to these people was so convincing that Jesus was in it because he knew there would be a time where we would have these questions. And he wanted every person to understand in the first century, and I propose even now, that guess what? All people can sit at his table because of his grace. So look what happens. I love this. It says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Come on, y'all. By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself putting something on someone that you failed at? Putting a rule on someone and, and you're the very person who can't even accomplish it yourself. That's, that's, that's so normal in parenting. I'm, just, I'm the first person to confess, I put these standards on my kids, and they're like the very areas where I'm weak at. And I'm amazed at my, my lack of grace toward my kids, especially in the areas where I fail. And that's the whole point. When Jesus gives you parables about individuals who's like, yeah, you know, thank you for, for selling my debt. And then the guy goes down the street and puts the guy in the head like I said, where's my money? And God is like... <laughs> What, dude? Like, didn't I just cancel your debt and you went down the street in three minutes and you asked for some more money that somebody else owed you? And are you kidding me? You see how crazy that is? Don't we do that a lot? We do that with our kids. We do that with each other. I always say, guys, and I'm convinced of this. You know, when you're, tw- when you're 20 something, you have these opinions and you're kind of like, well, I got this opinion, but I feel like I'm too young. So you kind of like keep it in your heart. And then you get 38, and you're like, man, I think this is true. So here's my opinion. One of my, that's right, I'm getting old, bro. So one of my, um, I'm convinced that one of the hardest things for Christians to do is give, is give grace to other Christians. I'm convinced of that. I think it's one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to be grace givers to one another. I think we give grace to unbelievers so much better than we give to our own family, to, the own, to your own people who receive Christ as king, who's, who've, who've admitted their brokenness. We, we, that's how you come to faith, right? You can't be a Christian unless you admit you need Jesus, unless you admit that you're a sinner, that you want to repent of your sin and you want to receive his forgiveness. You can't even become a Christian. So Christians, by definition, we admit I'm broken. I'm jacked up. I need the Lord. And that's hilarious to me that we admit our brokenness and then other Christians see our brokenness. We go, you're broken. As if, well, I know. That's why I came to Christ. That's why I'm trusting Christ because I'm in process, bro. And you are too, I love this good word of like, guys, think about us as Pharisees and walking around here. Man, it was hard trying to be like this. It was hard knowing the first five books of the Bible and remembering that stuff. It was hard trying to keep the purity of the faith. We couldn't do it. And now we're going to ask these guys to do it? Pause. What would our church look like when we, man, we're as a body in our mad groups, we're telling the truth. We're, we're, we're holding each other accountable. We're repenting of sin. But man, there's just such a grace environment. What would it look like for you and me to believe the best first? What would it look like? Until we got all the evidence, we say, no, I love that brother. I love that sister. Somebody says, you know what? I don't know about that journey. If you got that issue with him or her, you need to talk to him or her. Because don't dishonor the body of Christ by gossiping with me right now. What would it look like for us to have that kind of radical zeal to just bestow grace upon grace? What would it look like someone hurts you in our body, someone hurts you outside our body, and they love Jesus, and they, and they say, I'm, I'm sorry, I hurt you. 
what it looked like for you just to open up your arms and say, hey, I just want you to know from this day forward, I don't connect those dots. I don't connect those dots anymore. When I see you, I don't see that. I free you just as my Savior freed me. What did it look like? I, I know we want to be that body, don't we? We want to be that kind of body. Known for our, 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 our resolve for truth and our posture of grace. Right? I mean, his brother preached. When he said that, you know they was kind of like, man, oh, he, oh, he went there. Man. Right? He says, come on, guys. You remember Cornelius' house? You remember what happened? Look what he says in verse 11. But we, he says, hey, let's not, let's not roll like that, people of God. God's trying to do something. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Right? This is a grace thing. And all the assembly, I love this, fell silent. You know they did. You know it's history, right? Because you know everybody hype, talking all crazy, talking, and he just comes with that. You, you, know, you know we all get mad when someone comes real spiritual. You know what I'm saying? You and your flesh and somebody just get real golly on you and say something just straight scripture. You'd be like, man, this dude. Man, now I need to repent. Look what it says. Assembly fell silent, verse 12, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So I want to tell you, here's how I jumped off. Can I just share with you? I think what happened is Paul and Barnabas were sharing, and then they got interrupted. I think that's what happened. I think they got interrupted, and people was like, stop. Those cats that you're talking about, yeah, praise the Lord, that happened. They need to get circumcised. They need to resemble that they understand that we are a part of Yahweh. We're the chosen people, and they need to be under our tutelage at some level. And I think Peter stepped in and said, hold up, gave this speech. And now he said, continue to share, guys. And they said, oh, let me tell you. So then on Thursday, <laughs> and they start sharing again. I'm convinced that's probably what happened here. Because remember, they were talking before. And he says, they related the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. So they're all quiet now. They're hearing these convincing arguments. It's hard to hear, but they know it's true. And then look what happens here. And, and, and don't miss this, guys. I'm going to try to explain this as, as well as I can because this is very important. Okay, guys? Verse 13, look what happens here. So James gets in the mix, all right, one of the leaders. And he says, after they finished speaking, then James replied. And this is kind of the linchpin here. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. You hear that? Okay. He says, I will rebuild his ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord in all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things Known from the Old Testament. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those other Gentiles who turn to God. Now, notice this. Now, as you're reading your Bible, when you see individuals sharing something and then they quote the Old Testament or you see quotations, you want to pause as a, as a young theologian and say, why did he quote the Old Testament there? Because I guarantee you, the people of God paused and said, first of all, where is that from and why is he quoting it? Okay, so, so now the question is, where is that from and why is he quoting it, right? Why, is he, why does he go there? To make, he's, he's trying to make a case. What kind of case is he trying to make? These are the questions you want to be asking yourself as you're reading the Bible to understand what God is trying to say to them in the first century and also to us today, okay? So this, let's talk about what he says here. So I'm going to read it through and I'm going to try and break it down as much as I can. He says, he says, guys, and... He says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. Agree with what? What he just said, (laughs) right? It agrees that, oh, God was actually, guys, this is not something that Paul just kind of drummed up because God was doing some new thing that was never in the scriptures before. This isn't something that Peter got a supernatural dream, but it's nowhere documented in the scriptures at all. And God just went, okay, and I'm going to say Gentiles today, you know, and gave Peter a dream. He's like, this is something that was written a long time ago in all the prophets, so when you, when you see this whole sense of uh, the words of the prophets agree, he's saying the words of the prophets agree with his prior statement that the Gentiles were going to be a people for God's name. 
So then you look at the text. Look at what he quotes there, right? Now, theologians believe that it's a, it's a paraphrase of Amos chapter 9. So you can write that down, chapter 9. I'm going to read 8 through um, 12, and then we'll, we'll, we'll parse back and forth, because I want us to understand why he's doing this. Okay? Can you put up Amos for me? So look what it says, guys. So now, let me give you a little, uh, little history. This, I don't want this to get super academic, but I want you guys to make sure you're listening, because it's very important, okay? All right, so... The, the theme of scripture, in a nutshell, there's, there's, there's so many different meta-narratives. I'll use this meta-narrative. There's, there's a meta-narrative, which means a big story. There's a big story that the Bible's telling. And then all throughout the text, there's all these little stories. Okay, one of the big stories that you're seeing in scripture is this sense of, of, of God creating out of love, right? That he's just, he's just awesome, this big God, right? Uh, then you got this issue of him creation. And then you got covenant. He makes a covenant with people by his grace because he's just awesome like that and loves sharing how good he is because he's awesome. And then he had this issue of sin, right? We fall into sin. And then God tells us all throughout the Pentateuch that when his people who are called by his name fall into sin, what he's going to do is he's going to punish them. But one of the main ways he punishes them is by removing his presence, right? And also by removing his land. There's four major markers in the scriptures that Jews hold on to. And two of them is the land in which they have... Okay, and actually the presence of Yahweh. And so they, they, they did not want to, when they got dispersed from their land, they felt like, oh my goodness, we're in trouble now. And being dispersed from your land was in essence saying that God is removing himself from you. So you get a two for one deal there. God does that when he's totally fed up throughout the Old Testament. So what happens is you have, you have right, God's love, big God, covenant, sin, exile. So then God sends these people to exile. He says, man, I've asked you to, to believe me, to trust me. And then you continue to do your own things. You want to be your own guy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove you from me. If you want to do your own thing, go ahead and do your own thing and watch how it works out for you. And then you see them get conquered and beat up and smashed and all this other stuff. But in addition, I'm going to remove you from your land. Okay. So you have exile. Here's what's happening here. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. So remember, we talked about covenant, sin, exile. Covenant, sin, exile. Meta narrative, big Bible. Covenant, sin, exile. But he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, 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 whole, a crazy thing to these people, but I'm not going to totally wipe them out. Okay? I'm not going to totally wipe them out. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. You think you're okay? You think you can run from this? I got you, right? Verse 11, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Now, here we go. So you had the sense of exile. And now we're about to start seeing restoration talk. Okay? In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair his breaches. And this is where they propose they get to, that he begins to quote James. Okay? He says, not the, the, the sin piece, not the exile piece. He's quoting the restoration piece. Okay? Look what he does here. I'm going to repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Continue, please. That they may possess the remnant of Edom, okay, Edom, Edomites, Gentiles, that they may, the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Okay? Here's what's happening. You see what's happening here, guys? See, this text can very easily for you and me just be a reconciliation text. Just be a text where he's saying, oh, no, how do I prove to the people that God wants the Gentiles to be with the Jews? It's that, but it's more than that. Do you see what he's saying? He's casting vision. James is casting vision to the Jews. He's saying, first of all, God, this is, he's a restoration God. And guess what? The time of sin, the time of exile, all that's, that's done. God did all that. But guess what he's doing now in Jesus? He is rebuilding he is restoring. This is what God is doing now. And guess who he's using to build and restore? He's using his people. He's using the Jews. So his point is that actually he's saying that that prophecy he gave way back in Amos about what God was going to do, he's fulfilling right now. How is he fulfilling that right now? How is he building up the walls? 
He's building up the walls because Jesus was the first of the wall builders, right? Jesus comes in, he repairs the walls and says, I'm the person who's going to bring in the wall. And then he continues to build that wall with the Jews. And guess what? He doesn't just stop there. You go, well, what does this have to do with me today? Continue on. Is Ephesians, you know what this has to do with you? In Ephesians chapter 2, can you go to Ephesians chapter 2? Look what it says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone. Go back, please. You see what he's saying here? See, this passage means a little more now, hopefully. See, what he's saying is that it's not only that the Jews themselves are helping to rebuild the wall. Right. But actually, then they rebuild the wall with these Gentiles who become Christians. And then guess what? Even the Christians are part of rebuilding that wall. So where does that place you now? What is God saying? God is saying right through his people. He's saying through James, he's talking to these first century Jews. He's saying, guys, don't you get it? This is how God is accomplishing his purposes for the world. He's saying, actually, this is not about just you and me realizing that Gentiles are supposed to be part of the faith. That's extremely important. He's saying to these first century Jews that I'm telling you, this is part and parcel of God rebuilding his world. That God is rebuilding his world through Jews realizing that Jesus is king. Then they begin to proclaim the gospel, not just to the Edomites, but it says to the nations. And the nations come to faith. They walk with the Lord. And then guess what they do? They proclaim the gospel to the nations. You see, this is a vision issue. And here's what he's saying. He said, I'm trying to help the Jews, the first century Jews. And now me as your pastor trying to tell the body of Christ here that God is saying, this is the reason why you were created. Look what he says in verse 17. Go to your text. Look what he says in verse 17. You see that? Look what he says. Toward the end of 16, he says, I will rebuild its ruins and I'll restore it. Why? You see that that? You see that clause? That. He restores it. He restores. He builds people up. He makes you born again. Not so you can go, oh, I'm a cool Christian, right? That's cool. Not so that you can just have good quiet times at Starbucks. I love Starbucks. We can do that, right? But he says, I build you up. I make you new that. Look at verse 17. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. You see that? The reason why God rebuilds his people is so they can proclaim the goodness of God to the nations so the nations can know him. That's the reason why he does it. Can we pause again? Are you hearing me? The reason why you and I become Christians, the main, one of the main reasons is so that we become born again. We love Christ. And he says, then we go out and we proclaim his goodness to the nations. This is what James is saying. This blows my mind. He's saying this to first century Jews. He's telling them, you forgot it, guys. Don't, you, you forgot your purpose. He said, we, we sit here arguing. Don't you understand this is part of his, his, his redemptive plan? Don't you understand you're part of his redemptive plan to build the walls? Restoration, restoration. What is the Jews' purpose? What is our purpose? I will say for both of us. It's to restore up and rebuild the walls for God. Is that his firm wall of believers saying yes to Jesus? That's our purpose. That's why we exist. Restoration. Now, here's what's hard about this. When we talk about restoration, we talk about purpose. One of the tricks of Satan is for you and me to go around and think, man, you know, and I, I get this, and I want to be the first to tell you, in our day and in our world, daily, we find ourselves having purposes that have nothing to do with this. We find ourselves kind of forgetting. You know, we want, I mean, we even prayed that. We want to share our faith, but man, life gets crazy. You know, I, I want to be faithful, but man, you know, I got, I, I, got to, I, got to, I got to focus on my business, you know. And we find all these reasons. We walk around here, and guys, we can miss our purpose. And I'm proposing to you that the Bible is saying that this isn't just a clear call for unity. This is a call to remember this is why you were created. You were created to proclaim the gospel. To, to build people up. He says, so that nations will know you. Who did this? Jesus came into the world, right? He began to gather a true believing remnant, right, of Israel. Because you go, well, Eric, I don't know if that's what the text says here. It's just saying that, you know, that Edom's going to get saved. Guys, he's, he's, he's accomplishing that here. And I'm proposing to you, we see that first in Jesus, right? Now, you say, well, he's, he's talking about the Jews. Okay, yeah, I propose he's talking about the Jews, that the Jews are the first, who are doing it, just as Jesus was first before him, before them, right? 
But I'm proposing to you, Jesus comes into the world. He begins, he grabs, he grabs a true remnant of Israel, right? And then we see the apostles come, right? And then they're following in Jesus' line. And then they see thousands upon thousands get saved. And then that gets spread to the Gentiles. And now they begin to see people get saved. And I'm proposing to you that even right now, when you're leading people to Christ, when your mindset is about kingdom, God is saying you are fulfilling this prophecy. That's your purpose. So that men might be able to seek the Lord. (sighs) Praise the Lord. I feel like one of the reasons why Jesus was so gracious to put this in the text is because he wants to remind you and me, if this is true, that the tearing down time is over. The tearing down time is over. For the people of God, for us to realize that, man, we have a lot of brokenness going on in our life. And Satan wants to remind you and me that we're messed up. And he wants to keep you in a teardown state. He wants to keep you all thinking like, well, one day Jesus is going to hook you up. But right now, you still tore down. So, so stay tore down. Stay defeated. Don't, 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 don't make everything about the gospel. Don't make everything about proclaiming him. I know it says that, but man, don't get crazy. I mean, you got to live a little too. Right? That's what the world says to you and me. And I'm proposing to you that the scriptures are clear. That man, if we just grasp hold of this reality, that the reason why we were created and newly created is because he wants us to help in restoring the walls by his grace through the power of the spirit. See, now I hope you understand why we live here, why we neighbor, why we're very intentional about our formation and what we do with each other, why we do discipleship. This is a reconciliation verse for sure, but it's more than that, guys. It's more than just reconciliation. Let me me continue on, guys. The scriptures read at the end, he says, he says, but you know what? James says, hey, this is what God has called us to. And so what I'm asking, because now, now he still needs to deal with the practical piece. He still needs to deal with the fact that you got these Gentile believers who were with these Jews. And you got different things that are going on that are kind of weird and they need to figure it out. So he says, hey, but I want to ask in verse 20 um, that they should abstain. I'm, just, I'm sorry, did I? I'll make sure I got all the text for you guys here. Yeah, he said in verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, verse 20, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood, right? And from the, so he's saying, hey, okay, so here's what we can ask them to do. Let's ask them to do some practical things uh, in order to make sure that people can be, be able to live in peace while we figure this thing out. Right, and he gives them some practical ramifications that I won't get into because of the sake of uh, for the sake of time, I can't get into some of the, the theological nuances behind the things he chose, which are important. And I encourage you to kind of research; uh, it is important. But I don't, I don't have the time right now. It's about eleven forty-five. Um, it says in verse twenty-one: uh, "For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, and for he is read every Sabbath. He is read every Sabbath in the synagogues." So. Basically, he's trying to provide an opportunity from saying, hey, guys, don't worry. The Gentiles are learning about the Old Testament rituals. They're learning about the laws. They're learning about who Moses is. We're not casting out everything. They're learning about uh, Moses every Sabbath. So he's kind of encouraging these guys. But he wants them to realize and understand something. He wants them to understand that first, these guys received the spirit as we did. They belong at the table like we do. Their God is our God. They're not second-class citizens because they're not first-century Jews. And most importantly, I would even say, remember that they are going to be part of the rebuilding of the walls, that they have access to everything that you have access to as a first-century Jew is what he's saying to them. So what does that mean for us? Is that just some historical text somewhere? What does it mean for you and me? I'm proposing he's talking to us, guys. Family, he's saying you and I. We have, by God's grace, given an opportunity to be newly created to go out and rebuild God's walls. That's your purpose. That's why you've been born again. That. Many might hear about Jesus. Think about it. When you think of um, opportunities at Mac, I know we get off track, guys. I know it's hard. I want to ask God to give you grace to be experiencing him. But I want to I ask you to really ask yourselves, why are you here? Why, why are you here? I'm talking on earth. Not in this community. Why are you on earth? Because James, his speech is about why you're here on earth. 
He's not talking about, oh, well, this is why we should, you know, make sure we eat together. He's saying those theological implications are simple after you understand why you're here on earth. He makes it bigger than just a unity talk. He says you're here on earth so that the world might know Christ. That's why you're here. And so when you and I go around, and if there's anybody in this room right now, you're just kind of going through religious motions, you're kind of nice to your wife, but you're not seeking Christ. You're not asking God to form you. He's saying you're you're, you're missing it. I I want to propose to you, according to this text here, to not be, have audacity to be passionate and live for Christ and to look at your life and say, man, what am I doing? Is my life hitting in God? What am I doing? What what does it look like for me to trust Christ, to yield to Christ, to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, to, to look at my life and say, Lord, have me every moment, every day. God is saying to not be about that. You're actually wasting your life. He's saying that you're actually, you don't even under, that you're living a fake life. As a pastor, how do I, I'm I'm like, Lord, help me help the people of God understand that apart from your, your, you're pouring your life out for Christ, you're wasting your life. That's what the text is saying. He's saying, guys, this is why we're here. All right, family. These guys. Are we born like us? Their God is our God. Our mission is their mission. Um, I pray for application. I just want us to ask that question in Matt groups. Ask that question when you go out today for lunch. Why are we here? And I'm praying, if you, if you look at your life, and man, Jesus isn't getting much of your time. You know, it's just kind of like he just rounds your life out because you just want to be a nice, more, have a nice moral compass. And I'm praying you're missing it. You're missing what life is all about. And I pray you would get into an environment, be disciple, get into discipleship. If you don't know what that means, talk to us. I pray you would be a part of this covenant community and lock arms with us. We'll challenge you to have to wrestle with what does it mean to say, Lord, here's everything. That's our prayer. We want to make much of Christ because he's everything. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a time of uh, tithe and offering and communion.